and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderfully nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hello. And S.M. Rosenberg. Hi. So today we are going to be continuing our exploration of the Midot Musser, or the, I guess, good traits for becoming a better person, as we're kind of thinking of them. To becoming a better you. Yes, exactly. Being a better you for for you and me, and us, and all. Mostly you. <laughs> <laughs> we're perfect. <laughs> we're so perfect. Just want to emphasize this every episode, that this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but of course, um, before we get into that, you guys know the drill. We're going to start with our current obsessions because I, I have something that I'm like legitimately obsessed with this week and. Oh, you should go first then. Okay, fine. I'm embarrassed to talk about it, but, um. Never be embarrassed. This is, this is nice Jewish fangirls. We celebrate obsession. Well, well, hold off before, before you. It's okay. I, if I judge you, I will judge you quietly. <laughs> I won't. I'll be loud. <laughs> See, well, and this is why we make such a great team. There we go. Yeah, I have an angel and a devil on my shoulder. This is perfect. Um, that's very Jewish imagery. Are starting off on a great foot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have always been sort of like interested in enamel pins. Um, but like yeah those are so cool yeah they're very pretty I used to collect them as a kid a little bit um but I kind of like I was always a little turned off by like the culture around it because it's like intense and like trading pins is like a huge thing whatever and I was always like I don't I don't need like more like just junk in my life I didn't know that I didn't know that there was such a huge subculture oh my god that is fascinating well yeah (laughs) it's huge yeah I'll talk about it in a sec but there's basically I mean Disney trading is a huge thing. Um, but anyway, I was ne- I was never like, I never saw anything that I was like, oh my god, I need this. And then fast forward to, I'm like buying my sister's birthday present. And like, I found, she doesn't collect enamel pins either, but I happened to find, um, she's a big Pride and Prejudice fan. And I found this adorable, like, postage stamp of Pemberley Aww. in an enamel pin. And it was so pretty and just like, just so beautiful. So I bought that for her. I bought a different one for me. And then I realized that I had a couple lying around that I, like, didn't, whatever, like, I hadn't put anywhere. So I, like, bought, like, a little display thing for them. And then I followed, like, one person on Instagram. And then, like, I found, I I fell through the hole. And I found this thing that is called Fantasy Enamel Pins, which are basically, like, independent creators who, like, make basically fan art in enamel pins. And, like, these, a lot of these things, these things are, like, tiny works of art. A lot of them are, like, big, like, they'll, they'll, they're, like, the size of, like, almost your hand. But, like, they're, they're little works of art that are just pins and, like, layers of pins and, like, you know, and they're, they're made by fans and artists. So a lot of them have, like, in-jokes and just, like, imagery that is not, like, official imagery, um, and I've, I can't even figure out how, how many creators I followed on Instagram in the past week, but like a lot. <laughs> like, I think I, I went from like, yeah, I think it's like at least 20. <laughs> it's like embarrassing. And, um, yeah, I, I, they're, they're, they're gorgeous. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And I've been looking at people's things and like, obviously I have nothing to like trade, but I'm like, oh my God, like 
I'll buy, I'll like, I made a post, like, I'm willing to buy this pin for whatever. Like, there's a Milan pin out there that is just stunning. Um, but they're all very, like, limited. Like, people don't really make them for a long time. So, yeah, I, I, I missed out on a lot of the other ones. And now I'm, like, making timers for when people start selling. But it's, it's, it's embarrassing, guys. It really is. But I'm trying to think it's of it not. as well. Yeah. Just, it's not so any more or less embarrassing than any other hobby. I just, I don't like collecting stuff that much. And, like... Oh my god, I'm like legit scrolling through how many people I followed. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> um, so, well, I want to know your favorite Instagram handle for pins. So, it's hard to say a favorite, but I'm going to shout out um, a couple. You can name three. Okay, so there's one called um, Garden Souls, who has just some of the most beautiful Harry Potter designs like you've ever seen. Like, there's they have one that is like stained glass windows from all the common rooms. Um, they have one that's like a, a circular train that kind of takes you through like different, like, you know, the, the, the different books. Um, that's, that's amazing. Um, there's... You know what we should do? We should make an NJF enamel pin. I remember <laughs> several years ago, I I was like, hey, look, I found an enamel pin custom website. We could do this for NJF. And at the time, we were like, you know, on extended hiatus. And we were like, yeah, maybe one day, possibly. That's but now true. is the perfect time That's because true. you are obsessed with them. Oi, 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 don't tempt me. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Nimbus Designs is another one, and they have a, 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 a BB-8 that is sold out that I really, really, oh. really want. Um, and then, yeah, okay, there's this Parvizal Pins person, and they just, they just have a lot of amazing Marvel stuff. It's, like, and it's interesting, too, because it's, it's sort of a, an expansion of, like, fandom in a, like, it's a very interesting expression of fan art. So, like, I found that apparently, like, Raylo pins, like, Ray and Kylo Ren pins, oh, no. are, like, a whole huge subgenre of this. And I'm like, well, phew, I don't really, I, I don't, you know, nothing against that, but I, I don't particularly care for that. So I, 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 I can scroll past all the Raylo pins without, like, thinking of my like, wallet. Like, all, all ships are valid except for Raylo. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, whatever floats your boat. But, yeah, it's not, it's not my thing. Um, Judging but then, quietly. You know, like when you find one that's like just just exactly what you want, and uh, oh man, like there's this there's this Mulan pin. I just you know, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> I will I, I'll send I'll send you guys the link. Yes, any NJF listeners, if you see cool enamel pins, send them to Michal. Or don't maybe. <laughs> yes, do it, do it. Do it. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. How many do you own right now, or are on the way to you? Uh, there's a couple on the way to me. <laughs> And, and when did you fall? When was when was your sister's birthday? December fifteenth. But this is literally only like like I only really started looking <laughs> in the past like two weeks. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you! I already knew because enamel pins were big among K-pop fans, so there's a lot of really cool fan art, and I've seen a lot of them. And actually, a friend just sent me it wasn't the K-pop one, but something else I like. Um, and so I've seen them before, and I know they're artistic and really they're just so cool enamel pins i never really thought about it like oh what can you do with enamel you can do anything with enamel and now we fall now knows this joy oh my god yeah i'm like i'm i'm such a nerd i was like you could make such great judaica out of this they're 
there's a jewelry store here where I made a bracelet at, and I saw that they had an enamel workshop a few weeks ago, and I didn't do it. But now I kind of regret it because I could have shoved it in your face. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, maybe they'll have another one. I could maybe have made you something, too. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, you know what, I really appreciate, like, I really appreciate detail. I'm like, they have different textures in the pins and like some swirly backgrounds and some like, you know, and matte stuff. And then, oh, it's, it's it's just, it's just, yeah, I just really love it. And Milan pins are hard to find. So like this particular one is like, you know, Milan anything is hard to find. Um, So this pin will bring honor to us all. (laughs) Do you want a really terrible fun fact about Mulan? Uh-oh. Oh, God. Sure. Oh, it's, you guys were, like, thinking way worse than I was thinking <laughs> about to say. You, like, went off the deep end. Um, so if you are a frequent listener, you might know that I am now in Hong Kong, and I uh, I have a Disney Hong Kong membership. Um it's just something to do when COVID doesn't let us travel. So no judgment, please here. It's NJF you're listening to. Um, but we noticed that there's no Mulan. Like you very rarely see her, even though she's officially a Disney princess. She's not on, like, she's not one of the princesses that's regularly walking around. And then I remembered that you don't really see her in the Tokyo Disney either. Um, and we tried Googling and we couldn't figure it out. But like, she's, you would think because she's like, the Chinese Disney princess, like that she would be more like frequently utilized in the Asian Disney parks, but she's not. And we got really mad about that. And justice for Mulan at Disneyland in Hong Kong and Tokyo Sea, because I haven't been to Tokyo Disneyland, so I can't say anything about that. And I haven't been to Beijing yet. So. But we were really sad. Justice for Mulan. so yeah i i definitely always felt like there was a lack of her in like the other parks and like lack of merch and part of that i think is because they don't know how to clarify to classify her right like is she a princess is she not i'm firmly and she's not a princess she's a normal girl that's part of the point um but like yeah yeah, i wonder if that's different in like shanghai disney disney or like I, i guess i'm wondering if there's like politics you know involved oh this is so pretty yeah so i assume it's a political thing this pin that michael sent me the link to is gorgeous i would Mm -hmm. die for it except it's 87 dollars, and i'm not paying that much for a pin but it is gorgeous good for them and so i was in that place and now i'm not in that place anymore (laughs) i'm like it's bad because you you bought it no no no. i haven't bought it but i would buy it i would 100 percent buy this pin i you know what because i'm trying like i i changed my mindset so now I'm thinking of them as miniature art pieces instead of just pins. So that's great. <laughs> it's it's great. It's an ex- I mean, it's it's, it's, great, it's not great for your budget, but it's great for your happiness. Yeah, yeah. I don't collect too many things, so it's just so iconic. Like this, this for listeners, it's hard to describe, but it it's partly doing the scene where she is cutting her hair off with her sword, and it's just so epic. It's that's gorgeous. One of my favorite sequences ever. Yeah. Okay, so. That is my that is my obsession. It will probably be ongoing, and um, pray for me, etc. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Who would like to go next? Um, I could go. Yeah, go for it. Okie dokie. Um, so this obsession, um, I w- it was something that I've been working on for a long time, but I um couldn't talk about it because. I was worried that I wouldn't actually follow through on it and then people would be disappointed in me and then it would just be sad. So I 
worked on it pretty much in secret for a year. Um, I told, like, I think two people um, that I was working on it and what it was. Um, but I just didn't want, you know, anybody to know so that nobody would expect anything because that's my goal in life. Keep expectations low and then you can always exceed them. So I was working on an audiobook of my dad's book, Morality for Muggles. Um, he wrote it way back in 2011. Um, but he, we did a, uh, a new revised and expanded edition with a much better cover. Um, and he did that, um, I think 2018, something like that. Um, shortly after the Hogwarts Haggadah came out. Um, and it's the only one of his books that so far that isn't a Haggadah that, you know, takes well to audio because it is just words and it doesn't have, um, an entire Haggadah interspersed with the, the Divrei Torah. Uh, and it was, a project. <laughs> I recorded it entirely in my bedroom and I then uh, used my mad editing skills, which are not, I'm sure, anywhere near as good as Jamie's and take me forever to do anything. Um, but I am self-conscious about whenever I do something that involves me narrating. I can't let anybody hear me breathe. No one is allowed to know that I breathe, that I have lungs, just not allowed. So um, I edit out pretty much every sound of every breath that I take on, <laughs> and that's how I feel better about it. So, yeah, so the editing process takes a long time. Um, so, yeah, in the beginning, it was just like a matter of can I record all of this? And then once I had all the recordings, it was like, okay, now can I edit all of this? And I was aiming to get it done in time for his birthday, which was January 2nd. And I managed, I had a timeline where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this chapter this week and that chapter, you know, the next week. And then, you know, I had it spaced out, but of course I, I didn't stick with my schedule. And cause I would be like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, I'm in a, I'm in the zone. I'm going to do two chapters now. And then I'm like, okay, so I can you know, relax for, for a little bit and I don't have to rush with the next chapters. And then I would just, you know, procrastinate. And then I would have five chapters to do in one week. And I was like, ah, so by the end, I, uh, I was, I was really cramming. And that was pretty much all I was doing for the, for all, pretty much December. December was, I would finish, you know, I would finish work. <laughs> and then I would switch over to, to editing and I would edit and edit and edit. <laughs> and, and then, um, and then go to sleep, and then go back to work, then edit some more. Um, and I did finish it in time for his birthday. And I even got software that it's called Audiobook Binder. And you can bind uh, all your sound files into an audiobook format that is uh, the M4B format, which is what iTunes uses um, to classify things as audiobooks. And it's it shows where each chapter is and um, contains all that information and is bookmarkable so that you don't lose your place when you leave. So I did that because it's super fancy. I also put music in, intro music and outro music and chapter in between music and occasional other sound uh, to differentiate between certain sections. And I'm very proud of how it came out. Like everything is you know, it's, it's very good. 
Uh, I don't think it's as good as when I read fiction because I don't get to act out the characters, and I think that's like half the fun. But for a nonfiction audiobook about important lessons that educators can learn and teach, use Harry Potter to teach uh, and have a common language with their students, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a very good audiobook. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> We're trying to figure out at some point um, how to make it available for people to buy. Although for now, I did make uh, a sample fi file of five minutes that is available. I think I made a tiny URL for it so that it would be easy to remember. And that would be tinyurl.com slash m number four m sample. So m for m sample. And that is my five minute sample. I think it's from one of the leader chapters uh, on the subject of leadership in the Torah and in Harry Potter and learning the lessons of what you take from your mentors and what you what you don't take from them and how to be your own kind of leader and, and not a pale imitation of some other kind of leader. Anyway, my dad is a smart guy and it's a very good book. Um, and while I was reading it, every time I was, I was reading it or editing it, I was like, you know, this part is actually really good. <laughs> People should read this. And yeah, so I made it and like, I, uh, I also did some Photoshopping on the, on the cover to make it into, a uh, a square uh, audiobook cover, and now it is, it has its own cover art, and I gave it to my dad for his birthday, and he was very, very touched, and my mom is actually going to listen to it. She started listening to it um, last night. <laughs> she down, I helped her download it, and she's listening to it on her phone, um, and she was listening to it out loud, and I was like, hey, this sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's, awesome. uh, that's my, that was my obsession for about a year. I'd had the idea. I actually, I, uh, in my memories, came up a status from the beginning of January in 2021 asking, if I made an audiobook of my dad's book, Morality for Muggles, would any of you be interested in it? And I got enough positive responses <laughs> that I decided to, to, you know, finally go ahead and try it. Um, but I didn't tell anybody. And yeah, and then by the next year, when that memory came around, it was like, ha, this aged well. So I actually did a thing that I set out to do, even though it was a big thing. And I could have abandoned it at any point without consequence because nobody knew I was making it. But I persevered and I... And I did it. Um, yeah, so I'm very happy about that. Yay, congrats. That's awesome. We'll definitely link that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. I hope my dad doesn't expect any presents ever again, because, I mean, he's covered forever. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've been in that situation. And I'm like, this is it. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's great. And I, I, I think it's great for, you know, to have it in audiobook form for, like, adults and like I, like I find it way easier to listen to you know nonfiction or or self-help stuff on audio so yeah like That's this awesome. podcast we are now self-help exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what we are I think that's what we're, we're self something <laughs> yeah I wanted my dad to make the audiobook version because he would have been amazing at it but my 
initial attempts did not go well. I tried to persuade him. And then I recorded one, I recorded like, I think the intro and I sent it to him and I, in the hopes that he would, you know, hear it and be like, well, it's okay, but I could do it better. But in the end, he was just, you know, so proud and so enthusiastic that he would never consider doing it himself. And I was like, backfired, that totally backfired. Oh yeah, forget it. You can't, you can't like offer your parents like, uh, yeah, yeah. They're just gonna be like, no, you're, you're, of course, sweetie, you're better. Yeah. <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> oh man. Ah, well, Tamar, how about you? What is your current obsession? Uh, my current obsession is not half as arduous or as much of an accomplishment as SM's. It's honestly not even a an obsession. Um, it's it's kind of just generally over the past few weeks, I've kind of, I don't watch reality TV shows and I've now become in, embroiled in three. Um, and, and to clarify, one of them I haven't watched, it's the real housewives of Salt Lake city. My friends had a whole conversation about it one day when we were on a hike and I like had to watch YouTube clips because there's like a cult leader in it and somebody got arrested on the show who's not the cult leader but another woman because she's a grifter or something or she's running a scam or allegedly i don't know honestly if anyone's listening right now please don't accuse me of falsely saying something i don't know anything except what's on the youtube (laughs) channel but it's really bonkers stuff so that was my first one and then at the same time i started watching um the korean like version of love island singles inferno but it's really not like at all like i wouldn't say it's not sexy but it's like more like what do we do we're korean and we want to put on love island but everyone's so like concerned about like how they're appearing and more modesty and it's like a whole weird mess but everybody i know is talking about it so i had to start watching and it was very very a lot of thoughts after that um and then the last one was the one that i spent the most time on which was the netflix now has face off which is a makeup competition show from the bbc oh it does i've wanted to yeah. watch that forever. oh no sorry sorry glow up Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's blow up, not face off. Um, face off. Face off. I've been I have been wanting to see since college, but it wasn't available anywhere. Yeah, so I want to watch face off also, but I've watched glow up instead. Yeah. Um, but glow up I, is great. <laughs> it is good. The one of the contestants who did really well. I'm not gonna. I mean, I guess yeah, I could say this show's been out forever. Uh, she won the second season. Ophelia. She's actually from Hong Kong, I, and I actually oh just God, I like her. watched. She's the best. I just watched the episode where she won, and then I looked at her Instagram, and she just landed in Hong Kong. Like, she just got out of her three-week hotel quarantine, because Hong Kong. Uh, But now she's been, now she's back with her family in her hometown for the first time since COVID, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, so these were three very uh, different reality series that I kind of fell into all at once, and like, they took over my mind. Like, I was like, Oh, let me experiment with my eyeshadow. I was like, that was a mistake. I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. You can. All it takes is confidence. I'm also skill. I have but also that. confidence. <laughs> I think mostly the skill in this case. Um, <laughs> Practice but yeah, is what so, gets you the skill. Yeah. So it was it was a weird few weeks where I was just like, oh, I'm watching this now. And like literally, I one night I sat down on my couch for like three hours watching these Real Housewives stuff, and I just. I, I feel like a new person after seeing <laughs> this drama. Like, all, like, I know none of these are like, they were, none of them were huge obsessions, which is kind of why I was like, I'll put them all under reality shows. But it was a really weird few weeks. I think I need to, like, go 
actually, I've just started binging a lot of Marvel films again today. So I guess that's back to normal. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I would suggest if you want to watch like, uh, like Singles Inferno is a very kosher version of Love Island, if anybody wants, um, and face and glow up is, is, I thought it was good. The judging confused me. I don't really understand it half the time. Um, I felt like I wanted a little bit more makeup and less art, but then sometimes they would say the opposite, and then other times they would say the opposite of that, and it was confusing. Um, so I'm yeah, happy but the makeup was it. cool. The makeup was cool. Yeah, I'm I'm just happy to never watch another season of that again. If there is another season, I might watch it. I might mute the stupid catchphrase "ding dong, darling." It's the worst thing on the planet. I never understood that. Yeah, <laughs> she clearly like, I understand. She's she, like a world class makeup artist, but that is not a catchphrase that actually means no, anything she, to me. She clearly wanted like how Paul Hollywood from Great British Bake Off is known for like his handshake. Yeah. And so she came with a catchphrase and it's ding dong darling or sometimes just ding dong in later seasons. Yeah. And it's ding dong. terrible. <laughs> and also bring in the models. Like what the ha- sorry, I could rant about this show for a while. I I think I just ended up hate watching the final season, although I did like the final one, the third season's winner. Um a lot. I thought she was cool. Um but yeah, so three Three very diverse, random reality shows captured my attention lately, and I never want to watch reality TV ever again. You can blame it on the pandemic. No, I think... Oh, maybe. Pandemic hit Hong Kong. I mean, if you want to, blame anything on the pandemic, I'm just saying. I support this. It's like if you're pregnant, you can always say, you know, blame it on the pregnancy. (laughs) You know, like, you just... I thought you were going to say blame the the pandemic. That's what I thought, too! (laughs) No, that's not what I was going for, but yeah... Blame that on the pandemic, too. <laughs> oh, man. Anyhow, should we get to our actual discussion? Because we've been talking for, oh, like, not that bad, only a half hour. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let's go from some of the more superficial things in life, except for SMs, to some of the more important things in life, I suppose. Gosh, now I'm going to get a reputation as someone of substance. Yeah. <laughs> um all right so our uh media of this week is trust also known as bitachon um i keep wanting to call it emuna but that is something slightly different i think um but yeah so i mean as you guys know the drill again we're gonna we're gonna talk about where we find trust in fandom and fiction and and all that kind of thing I guess what what I wanted to start with is the idea that I think tr- interpersonal trust is slightly different from the idea of bitachon, which is, I think, trust in something greater. And I think that is... is That's why I feel like it's very similar to emuna. Usually it's paired with emuna. It's like emuna and bitachon. Yeah. They go together. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> For anyone who's not familiar, Amuna is, like, faith. faith. Yeah, so faith and trust. So bitachon is the kind of trust that goes with faith. Right. And, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I guess I was thinking about that. Like, there's a lot of examples of trust in fiction, and I think that'll be really fun to get into. But just to start, I kind of wanted to to reverse our usual order and talk about, like, you know, either either faith in a higher power that... that characters have or even on you know in the fandom level faith in in creators in a project and stuff like that um if you guys have any 
thoughts to start off with. So if you're going to go with meta, um, and in terms of faith in creators and in, in other people, I feel like it relates a little to what we talked about last time of, of being generous with uh, other people. Well, not last time, but like a few, few episodes ago about being generous with other people um, that you don't know. I feel you know, that one of the reasons that social media discourse can get so toxic so quickly is because people don't, there's a lack of trust um, a lack of good faith between people because you don't know the other person. The other person is just, you know, words on a screen and you don't know where they're coming from or the context of what they're saying. So it's very easy to assume the worst and people often do um, because trust is something that you build on a personal level. And when you don't know the person, you have not had the opportunity to build that trust. Um, and so you don't, you know, trust is something that, that people earn from you and not something that you necessarily give to people without them having proved that they're worthy of it, um, which makes it difficult to have conversations about complicated things with strangers because they, uh, you don't know if you trust them yet and they don't know if they trust you yet. And so there's a lot of suspicion on both sides. Um, and- also, not to get like TMI personal, but I actually just this morning fell down a bad rabbit hole on reddit that i should not have and found people like accusing me of certain things that and like saying wow because i because like i had never done x y and z or interviewed this singer or whoever who i was kind of laughing i was like well i did like at the start of their career and i have since then you guys just personally the timeline is so long of my career relative to like your awareness of me as this big bad bitch who you hate um so you have like no idea what you're talking about. And I just thought it was very, what you just said was very in line with that. Like it was like very factually said by this commenter on Reddit. It's such a mistake to read this stuff. Don't do this. Don't learn from me. Um, I, but this I, is I, how you know you've made it. it <coughs> this is how you know I don't, you've made I don't it. Think there are so. rumors think, going around about you. No, I think, I, I, I think it's, it's really bad. Like, no, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but, um, you know, no, when you're no, famous enough I, to have rumors told about you, that means that you're, you know, you're getting somewhere. I don't somewhere. think so, because now even nowadays, anyone will say it about anyone. I think it's just people being nasty. Um, anyway, I got annoyed about this, but I think I think it's like, right, like we all, like, if you don't have faith in anyone else's, like, you can't have these conversations. I don't know. I was, I was feeling it's very personally. Jamie, you can cut this out today if you want. No, 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 no. This is important stuff. And I, I totally agree. Because like my brother recently wrote uh, an article that was somewhat controversial, um, because it mentioned JK Rowling, and it was giving, <laughs> it was talking about the, uh, the different, the disconnect between um, the online community, um, and the reg- the rest of the world that is not, on- you know, majority online, and how they experience culture and how the the people writing about culture experience culture and how there's such a disconnect between those two. Um, and he used Harry Potter as an example. He used Lin-Manuel Miranda as an example. He used Parks and Rec as an example of like people write articles about how like, why did these keep, they keep making stuff. They're so over. No one likes them anymore. And it's like clearly factually untrue, but people keep writing about it as if it is fact because in their, in their bubble, it is, fact 
and this is how everybody thinks, and they assume they project all of that onto others. And so because he didn't, he wasn't at all discussing, you know, moral merits of creators versus not, um, but he was, you know, he was just discussing how being disconnected from the people around you is not good, actually. Um, and it's uh, just if you're going to write about, you know, about crowd and the public and public opinion, you should at least know what public opinion is. Even if you disagree with it, you should not pretend it's something other than it is. Um, and yeah, and because it mentioned J.K. Rowling and did not, you know, get into any of the actual substance of the, the accusations against her because it wasn't the focus of the article, um, people, you know, immediately started projecting that, like, you know, he's just a butthurt Harry Potter fanboy and he's defending, you know, he's defending the, the status quo and popular media and whatever. Um, and it's just, it's so funny to me you know, because, you know, as, as somebody, you know, all of his readers understood the point, like he has a, he has a newsletter and people have subscribed to it. People have followed his work for a long time. And anybody who's, who read his, has read his work before, you know, understood what the point of the article was and anybody not anybody, but a lot of people who, you know, had never heard of him before, but only came across it, you know, were posting that, you know, this is complete garbage and he's saying this. And yet you would, you know, very helpfully respond to some of them with like, I'm sure a lot of people believe that, but that's not what I wrote. And he would screenshot parts of the article that completely contradicted what they claimed he said. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just like such a such a clear example of people approaching something in bad faith um, and assuming the worst of the writer um, versus people who have some measure of trust in the writer um, and are willing to actually listen to what he's saying and uh, and not jump to conclusions about it. Um, yeah, well, it was. Uh, I mean, I think it was an interesting I think, experience. I think part of what this is touching on is is the idea of trust like outside of circles you know and like it's very easy for someone to be outside of your circle I think and like even the people who are you know like like in Tamar's case like ostensibly she loves the same thing that that you know the people talking about her love but the circles are created so that she's outside of that circle and therefore a suspect and I think that that is like the you know, that, that is a very common thing in like, well, I mean, in, in life also, <laughs> like, certainly, I think like, also just like could... journalists are, journalists are like considered outside viewers, which is silly. And that's not really how journalism works. But, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Uh, less on like a meta fandom level. But um, uh, I don't, Michal, you don't watch The Expanse, right? I do not. Okay, so I already checked it with SM before the, the I have watched one but, season of The Expanse. You should watch more, but uh the I know series I should, finale but I can't get into it. <laughs> the we're recording this on Sunday and the series finale. Um so the season finale for season six, but overall uh, allegedly the series finale aired on the Friday before. Uh so if you haven't l- watched it yet, I'm gonna say some spoilers, but I'll coke them in like padding because I guess you could maybe not have watched it but I assume anyone who is that caught up because the whole like sixth season you know it's the finale like I assume you're watching it um in more or less real time uh and if not you'll watch it in like a thousand years maybe uh so this won't be relevant to you 
Uh, but in the the whole show's premise, for anyone who's not familiar, it's now on Amazon. It was a, a broad, uh, I think it was on Sci-Fi, and then it switched to Amazon. Um, very, very good show. You should watch it if you haven't. It's about essentially space and what happens when humans, you know, colonize other planets and then they also colonize space and treat the colonies in space maybe not the way that they would like to be treated themselves. There's this whole kind of meta commentary on like the impact of colonialization and empires and just cultures and just like a lot of meta stuff. And in the final episode, there's essentially someone representing these like outer space colonies, I guess, which are, are known as the belters uh, because they live in the belt of the asteroid belt. Um, and uh, it's played by, uh, I forget her the actor's name, but uh, she happens to be an indigenous actor and she plays one of these belters, like the best, best actor. She has the very distinctive voice, right? There's a few women with very distinctive voices in the show. Uh, I don't think she's in the first season. So, or maybe she is very briefly. Um, anyway, uh, so she essentially is at, uh, at like the table, literally where the political leaders are trying to decide what happens now that like all of humanity may have come in contact with very evil aliens. Um, it's like really an intense finale. Like I cannot summarize enough. Yeah. Can you hear me? Sorry, I think you cut out for me. I'm not sure if you cut uh, out for Yeah, Skype literally, like, spoiler bleep to you. Like, you said all of humanity is going to, and then you went blank. Really? <laughs> That's really funny. Yes, um, <laughs> So, just, just, okay, well, anyway. So Censorship. Much like the Censorship. <laughs> the political leaders of Earth, Mars, and the Belt decide to, like, sit down and try to figure out how to, like, move forward from all the plot that happened the last six series uh, seasons and essentially um, there is a conversation about trust at the table and what it means to like, cause pretty much this, this woman who is actually happens to be factually an indigenous woman. Um, but in the, in the film, in the show, she is representing this like subjugated belter society. And essentially she's told, well, you have to trust that we'll do the best thing for you. And she's like, okay, well, what if I said that to you too? Like, okay, you have to trust that we'll take the reins and you like the political leadership of like, like earth in and Mars um, are gonna, are like going to go along with that. And it like causes like a whole moment of like contemplation about what it means to trust someone in a higher power and for you to say, well, now I'm the one who's going to take the power because you're saying that you trust me to trust you. So I'm saying, like, and the counterpoint, well, then you should trust me to do whatever, like, I should trust you. It was a very interesting conversation. But that's not the whole reason that I'm, like, saying this. Um, that whole conversation about trust, it actually ends in a really intense uh, plot twist, like, filled with deceit because the assumption is, is that the way that things worked out like the person who ended up in charge couldn't be trusted or not couldn't be trusted, but like recognize that like to, to kind of move forward, like the human species you have to, or not species, but like the human societies, you have to like recognize that people who maybe are less empowered or have historically not had as much power kind of have to be trusted to, to like, catch up more or less to like the rest of society or like the rest of society should trust that like they're not going to make things harder for them 
Um, I could totally be misinterpreting it, but I thought it was, it was a really interesting conversation about trust. And then it all ended up kind of in deceit as if like humans, like we, the only reason we know how to trust is because we know what the opposite of trust is, right? Like being, being like either mistreated or lied to or betrayed having, like, deceit. Yeah. Uh, Betrayal, I think for. is the opposite of trust. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was a really interesting, like cinematic or, was television so yeah cinematic it was a really interesting episode for a lot of reasons but that whole thing where they literally have debates about needing to trust others and what it means when you are saying oh trust me and but if i said that back to you it'd be like questioned and then the whole thing after everyone agreeing okay we trust this person it's like oh actually this person's gonna betray you and do the right thing for other reasons, but it has to be dealt with deceit. And I just thought it was really, really cool. Um, like a really interesting conversation. The show generally gets a little bit philosophical at times. And I thought this was just like a very fitting finale. Uh, but I was watching it and I was like, we're talking about Peter Hoon. Wait, this is literally trust. Like I wish I should have, I should have checked the quote and just quoted that. And that'd be the end of the conversation. Um, but it was a really, uh, if if you don't watch the show, I would suggest watching. I can send you like the clip to that trust conversation. It was really cool and really interesting and just really well done about just minorities being told historically, like, trust us. And you're like, uh, no, you don't trust us. Why should we trust you? It was really cool. I really liked it. So yeah, that was my That's awesome. side. I, I, you know, sorry, when, when you mentioned like faith, as like, you know, oh, sorry, like betrayal, you know, I, I, it occurred to me that like, we have this phrase in English too, like that kind of confusion between faith and trust in terms of like, to trust someone or to be trustful is to like, keep faith with someone. And like, yeah, yeah I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with that. But I, I feel like it's, it's interesting that it's not just, um, it's not, it doesn't just go one way. Right. You can't like, you can't demand essentially that someone has faith in your trust. You mm-hmm. you can't like it's. I guess it's a. It, there is a a transactional element to trust. You can't just you know. I mean, I guess that's that's like the plot of like every single movie ever. Like, do you trust me? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that's what I wanted to talk about. My example are like because I think that in fandom pretty much one of the main things that launches a ship is trust between characters. Um, and a lot of the times it's unspoken trust, you know, trust demonstrated through actions. Um, and like when you say it explicitly, it's less powerful than when, uh, than when characters just demonstrate that they have you know, complete faith in one another. And that's why I think that, um, the Kirk Spock friendship um, in Star Trek was so it was it was so compelling and so successful in launching in huge uh, swaths of fandom and uh, and all that fan fiction and fan art and all of that uh, the ship that launched a thousand ships because pretty much the whole show is just about how much Kirk trusts Spock and Spock trusts Kirk but it very rarely do they say anything. It's just very clear from their actions. Uh, and if you want me to give a, a specific, I had, there's a specific episode that I have in mind, just 
one of my favorites. Um, it's called The Devil in the Dark, and they're called to a, uh, an out a mining outpost because there is a creature in the mining tunnels that is uh, killing people and dissolving them in acid and just, you know, it's terrifying. And they all have to, so the Enterprise is called in and Kirk is, is, uh, is deploying a team to uh, try and find the monster and, 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 you know, and, and get rid of it and kill it. And Spock has his suspicions that he is not telling anybody else. He has his theories, but he has his, his, his theories that there's something more going on. Um, and also Spock has very, uh, very uh, Spock as a Vulcan, Vulcans val a very highly valued life above pretty much all else. And so when he's giving the orders to the team to deploy, he says, uh, to try to capture it, you know, and, and uh, if all else fails, then, you know, then use whatever force necessary, uh, but aim, aim for capture. And Kirk immediately corrects him and he says, no, uh, we'll, we'll not, we were, are not going to lose any more men. I was like, this creature is dangerous. You know, as soon as you see it, shoot on sight. Um, and then he pulls Spock aside and he's like, uh, I want you to stay back and help you know, our engineers with uh with the science stuff on this mission and Spock is like that doesn't make any sense I can be much more useful here um and Kirk clearly doesn't want him there uh because he's you know suspects that that Spock isn't going to uh that he's going to let his his priorities uh override uh what is what is safe and but then uh, Spock logics him. He says, you know, there's only one creature and there are two of us. And the odds that we will both be killed are like 3,718.5 to one. And Kirk is like, 3,700 and <laughs> whatever, uh, 0.5 to one. Those are, those are pretty good odds, Mr. Spock. And he's like, <laughs> you know, and like Spock knows that he's, that he's got him uh, with logic and he's, he's not, uh, you know, he's he's just, you know, kind of resigned that he's going to let Spock stay on the mission. And then they go looking for the creature. And as they are hunting the creature, they get separated, of course, or they split up on purpose because, you know, cover more ground, etc. And it's it's TV. You always split up. Um, and then Kirk is confronted with the creature. The creature is this is like. This is 60s Trek, so the creature looks like a giant pizza monster that's, like, just this giant shag rug with, like, lumpy things all over it, and it's clearly inhabited by a human being inside of it, but, you you know, it's just this this lumpy thing that's scurrying all over the place. It's 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 so funny. <laughs> it's so funny, but it's, it's amazing. It's one of the fan-favorite creatures. But um, he's confronted by it, and then he he's pointing his, his blaster at it, but he's not shooting and he's, he's looking at it and it's looking at him and he's looking at it. And then Spock is like, Jim, Jim, what happened? Are you okay? Um, and Kirk is like, <laughs> and he, he was like, you know, uh, yes, I'm fine. And Spock is like, I'm, I'm looking for the creature. It's, uh, can't seem to find it on scanners or whatever. And like, he's like, I know exactly where the creature is. It's, uh, it's 10 feet in front of me. And Spock is immediately, shoot it, Jim, shoot it. <laughs> and like, 
based on the conversation that they had before, that was clearly you know not what Spock wanted to do. But now that Jim is in danger, you know all bets are off. And meanwhile. Kirk is, is there and he's just very patiently watching the creature and you know, it's clear that what Spock said was part of, you know, it got him thinking and, and he just decides to, to wait and not, and not do anything because the creature is not making any aggressive moves um, and in the end he decides not to try and, and shoot it and waits for Spock to get there and Spock has telepathic um, capabilities and they decide that they're going to try and communicate with it rather than rather than shoot it. And it turns out that the creature had very good reasons for doing what it did and is really a peaceful creature. It's called a Horta, Horta. And uh, it's, um, uh, I, I really want a, a Horta crew member to show up at some point in one of the new treks. But um, anyway, I just always felt like this was such a great example of the two characters trusting each other's judgment um, and allowing the other's perspective to um, to color their own and how they acted and how they behaved. And I'm not sure if I did any justice at explaining this in this very long-winded way. It's just it's it's done so concisely and and very uh, very simply on on screen, but it always uh, it stuck with me as just a really great example of two friends who have very different perspectives on things, but take each other's ideas very seriously um, and trust each other's judgment. And yeah, and there's just like <coughs> five million examples of this throughout, you know, throughout uh, the original series of Trek with Kirk and Spock. And yeah, and like very, very rarely does one of them, you know, say to the other that, you know, do you trust me or... I trust, you know, I trust you. It doesn't need to be said. It's just there all the time. And it's just really nice. It only needs to be said if you're in Titanic. <laughs> I mean, it only needs to be said if it's somebody new, really. You know, like if you, you know, have a longstanding relationship and part of what makes you believe that Kirk and Spock have such a longstanding relationship that extends from way be before the beginning of the show is that they have this, rapport and this automatic um and casual trust in each other well i mean i guess that's what like trust is right usually it is based on the relationship and it's something based on past experiences that you can trust that someone else that's why like a leap of faith is essentially you know it's a leap of faith not a leap of trust because trust is kind of maybe more built on the relationship and faith is kind of like i don't know it's almost midnight here and i'm I, i'm yeah, still awake faith and happy doesn't to record. require I'm just saying, as much evidence my brain, my brain is just like, hey, trust, let's get philosophical at midnight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think that, that that faith doesn't require as much evidence, um, and trust is often built on the evidence, and faith is a little bit more, uh, more beyond that. Of like, there is a certain amount of evidence, but if you have if you have faith, um, you go a little bit beyond what the evidence is showing you. And you choose to to trust beyond that. Well, it's interesting because one of the characters that like came to mind when I was thinking about this was Eugenides from the Queen's Thief series. And do not trust him. Get to this. Well, yes, but you can. He he's he's a very interesting character in that like 
the trust in him becomes a very, 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 very prominent theme in the story, like various characters trusting him, whether or not that's justified. But his own trust in the gods and the uh, kind of the, the, the arc that they have in store for him and what they want of his life is also very, very prominent and like a, a, a big topic of like basically conversation between eugenides and and the gods and other characters and and things like that and i kind of like i i love that that kind of encompasses both of the of the like axes on which trust can take place and like there's a lot of ways in which honestly like characters will trust eugenides and i'm like he hasn't earned this like he 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 doesn't you know he doesn't deserve this like you might like him he might be like your best friend but like he's got another angle somewhere and he like doesn't necessarily deserve your unambiguous trust and but it's kind of like an act of of faith i guess from you know from fellow characters to kind of make that leap um and it usually works out not always but usually and Um, the story wouldn't work without it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well yeah but it's also it speaks about the characters too right because, yeah like they mm-hmm. a lot of them do not start in position in positions where they would be trustful of of eugenides um and eugenides starts the story in a position where he is basically basically an atheist and he he becomes like you know not uh, he, he be, not only becomes a believer he becomes like a a, a knower you know in in gods and what you know and and in his role in their plan also i mean just generally it it gets even more meta like the books are typically written with like an unreliable narration yeah like you're used to when you read fiction typically you're i mean unless you know it's an unreliable narrator you read a book in good faith that the the person that like the point of view you're reading is the is the truthful story and you know obviously there's a lot of things that maybe the, the main character doesn't know and so you don't know as a reader but usually unreliable narration is it we have a term for it because it's so rent it's so not random it's so like surprised that we're we're not trusting the perspective that we're reading I don't know. I remember reading the first book and being very frustrated because I was like, there are clearly so many things that this narrator is holding back and nobody seems to be addressing. Um, And I was like, yeah, so like none of the revelations really surprised me because I was like, this is, there's clearly there's, there's so much missing in this narration. Um, And yeah, they're like, I felt like the author was actively hiding the ball, you know? Um, But yeah, but other people, you know, that's, you know, obviously Michal <laughs> loves the series and I would not want to take anything away from that. Um, but yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of unreliable narration going on um, and character, you know, leaving out certain things um, and hoping you won't notice. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's most prominent in the first book for sure. Like there's honestly, there's only one thing in the first book that I think is an actual cheat. Everything else, I think, is definitely justified by either the perspective or the narrative. Um, but it, you know, to take it to a more meta side, like I actually, you know, as as I was reading further books, and certainly as I was reading like the the um, fourth and fifth books in the series, um, because there had been so much time that I, you know, I'd gotten to know all the other books in the world and, and the characters. Um, I found it very stressful reading for the first time because 
I knew that there were things that I was not picking up on. And I knew that there were things that I, I couldn't know yet, but they, they were there. And like, it was a very kind of interesting experience in trusting the author in like, I, I have to, I have to believe that she's going to take me somewhere satisfying, even if I don't, I don't know where we are or like, I'm not supposed to even, you know, guess that, that, that stuff is happening yet. Yeah. There was a book on writing that I read, um, ages and ages ago. I think it was by Orson Scott Card. Um, he's written a bunch of books on writing. Um, and I think I, I, I started one of his books and he mentioned how like the reader has, you know, questions that come into the reader when they, when they first start reading a book is just like, so what, and who cares, you know, and you have to convince them that you know what you're doing and that you have a plan and you're taking them somewhere. Um, and you have to establish that very quickly um, with something that you're doing um, in your writing. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure what, he, what he, it was a long time ago, you know, and like you, you're not. Uh, so I don't remember exactly like how he, you know, said that, you, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't do it. But in general, you know, when you when you open up a story that that really grabs you or that you feel like the author has a has real command of language or that like you feel like you're thrown right into a world that feels fully developed within the first, you know, couple pages, there's a level of trust that that establishes, um, even if it's a new author and you've never read anything by them before. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my thought on authorial trust. We've talked about the relationship between fans and creators a lot in relationship to these traits, and, like, I think that's good, but I also think we, we keep on talking about similar things and I think trust might be kind of at the root of those problems like I think you know like with generosity and with uh, everything else we've discussed like I think the reason that those things aren't necessarily given to creators is because there is a lack of trust and I kind of Mm -hmm. wonder I kind of wonder why that is you know, and like probably George R. R. Martin's fault. He scarred all of us, so nobody could ever trust anyone ever again. I think it predates George R. R. Martin. No, I'm joking. Obviously, <laughs> but but you know what I mean. It's like yes, who was like the why... very first author that disappointed an audience? And clearly, we are all bearing the collective scars. I I found you know Moses' character arc at the end of. I was gonna say. I was gonna say like satisfying. literally. That's like. Moses, like <laughs> he doesn't get into uh, Israel. What are you talking about? Like cancel this show. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think like the like the trust that the audience has with the creators, or or like the, I mean, that's why when like a TV show you love gets canceled, it's such a big blow because you trusted that there would be more of a follow up to the story that you're seeing right now, and that's why when you have a really satisfying like season series finale it feels like the best feeling on the planet and it's so rare maybe because humans really suck at trust and we don't know how to land artistic creative endeavors that well but like it like if you think back to like any show you're watching when you find out that like it gets it's not getting renewed like it feels so crappy because you had some sort of trust in the team behind it and the creators that like it would you know 
get to where it's supposed to be going or land where it's supposed to land. And I mean, like, uh, I always like think of like, uh, uh, like I have a friend who, who reads a lot of fanfic and she doesn't read anything that's in, in progress. <laughs> like it has to Works be in progress. Yeah, yeah, because they have a setting where you can filter out and yeah, you can filter out works in progress. Right. She cannot like physically bring it upon herself to read something that's not complete because she's been burnt so many times. And I just think like we as humans have been burnt so many times and maybe that's kind of like we find it hard to trust on pretty much every level nowadays. Like and, and kind of because fandom represents culture on a larger level, like that's kind of how it, it shows itself. And also as I said earlier, it's George R. R. Martin's fault. And, and Game of Thrones directors. Like, like both things, Gabru. Books and TV show. Really, I could rant for hours. About but Michal <laughs> has ranted for hours. <laughs> I think also part of the problem is just that, you know, when we... I think that social media has exacerbated this, but I think it's always been there. Of, like, when you see somebody as a content creator versus as a human being um because i feel like most of the you know the relationships that we have online with you know if you don't know the person in person um most of the time they're just there you know to entertain you or to provide you with content um and that's the danger of parasocial relationships it's just you know there's there's much less room for for humanity in those relationships like people think that that they're treating you as a person but in the end they're putting you up on some kind of pedestal and then when you disappoint them they just like feel completely and utterly betrayed um and i feel like there's always been a distance between creators and fans um where creators are not seen as people they're they're seen as you know factories for producing this content that I like to consume and that definitely has an impact on how we relate to the creator and how we relate to the work. Um, the, like, especially if there's money involved, it's like, I paid for this. Um, I deserve to get my money's worth. Um, and if I bought this book, um, and it's not entertaining me or it's not what I, what I wanted, then it's like, you didn't live up to your end of the bargain and you didn't deliver, you know, the good or service that I, that I wanted. And it doesn't really matter what you did deliver. Um, it just, it didn't live, you know, I didn't get my money's worth and therefore, um, there's no trust here anymore. Yeah. And, and it's funny that we talk about this in art because it is so like, like subjective and that's, I mean, obviously art is subjective, but like, you know, one person's bad ending is, like, another person's, like, brilliant ending. And I think we've all been in, in that position. Like, you know, I mean... I, Except I for the How I Met like, Your Mother finale. I think everyone has. And Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, these are two things nobody cared for. I, I, I know people who don't, don't mind the end of Game of Thrones. I don't know that they're, like, full-throated, like, defenders of it, but they, they definitely, like, are fine with it. Nobody, nobody is a defender of it. Like you can you can understand it. Nobody defends it. <laughs> Peter Dinklage liked it. <laughs> he kind of, you know, contractually obligated, but um yeah, but it's also just like sometimes I think that I remember reading his interview and uh, and and seeing how 
you know, he has the insider perspective of like what they were trying to accomplish and what they were, you know, what the process was of getting to what they put on the screen. And obviously as viewers, we only have access to the final product. So we don't know what they were going for. And like, when you do know that sometimes, you know, that can, that can color your perspective and you're like, okay, this message, you know, I see it because I knew that that's what it was there for. And when you don't know that and you don't have that context, um, you don't, you don't see it that way. And I don't think that that's like an excuse because ultimately creators should create a context in which it makes, you know, it makes narrative sense and emotional sense um, without you having to explain it um, in a metatextual way. Like, I feel like a lot of, of Star Trek Discovery, like I can see the, the meta that like, I, I know what they were going for, you know, and I can see the, you know, the strings, you know, behind the, you know, behind the plot developments and the, you know, what they were going for with the themes, but the story itself, what is actually on screen doesn't really hold up for me all the time without, you know, seeing the scaffolding, you know, in between it. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, I feel like we're having the same conversation we had for the past few weeks. So uh, do we want to, does anybody have any other points about trust that they wanted to make or any examples that they wanted to discuss? Um, well, I wanted to say, you know, an example of opposite of trust in the character thing of like why I didn't, I recently, you know, watched, rewatched all of Star Trek and the one character, one, one captain that I just really could not stand was, um, Captain Archer on, uh, Star Trek Enterprise. And I think that that, it basically comes down to fundamental lack of trust that he did not, um, trust his crew. He was always, you know, getting angry at them. He was always deflecting blame onto them. Um, and he would never, you know, ask them for advice genuinely. Like he would, you know, only ask them when he wanted them to back him up. And if they disagreed with him, he got mad, um, which was so very the opposite of pretty much every other, uh, leader on a Star Trek show. Um, and yeah, so as a leader, being able to trust your, your constituents and have them trust you, you know, that's, that's ultimately what makes somebody a good leader in addition to, you know, knowing what the right call is to make. Um, but if you're a leader of people, you need to, um, have trust with it, with those people and for them to trust you. Yeah. I mean, I think that that touches on a lot of the, like the, the fan, the, the stories that we love are kind of in many ways, like, focused on trust right like when when stories are group stories you know whether it's like the fellowship of the ring or it's the buffy crew or the Aang gang or whatever like these people trust each other even if it's never explicitly stated and usually part of their journey is demonstrating that in some way or another um and i think that is that's always something that like resonates with me right like it, they don't even have to start off like not trusting each other like the hobbits start off fairly trusting each other but like when they demonstrate that so clearly it, it is like one of those moments of like ee! you know it's, it's a little, <laughs> literal Sam <ee> forever <laughs> yeah um also and, yeah i was just gonna say the fellowship literally breaks in the first book because the trust was broken between the fellowship yeah yeah no that's true the failure I mean, like, of trust betrayal bah stab in the back yeah and like the thing that 
that keeps Sam and Frodo together really is, is trust. And Sam kind of like preserving that trust, even frankly, when Frodo doesn't necessarily deserve it, you know? Okay. Wait, wait, I have a really, I guess it's probably not controversial because I'm sure a thousand people have had this debate like question before, but at a certain point, like he, Sam says that he, he said it to Gandalf. So is the trust in like between him and Gandalf or is it between him and Frodo? Sorry, just throwing that out there. This is nothing related to the conversation. Mm. <laughs> I I think ultimately it's Frodo. Why not it both? might Yeah, it might like kind of have like the Yeah, I mean with Sam there's always that like slightly weird like class thing where like someone higher than mm. him, quote unquote, told him something, so it's true <laughs> and he has to do it. Um but like there's so it might be kind of like blessed by Gandalf, but I think Sam's ability to hold on to that is definitely part uh, I mean a major part of that is just due to Frodo and the the Frodo that he knows and cares for in my in my take but it's been a long time since I've read Lord of the Rings so well, I have never read them I have only seen the movies <laughs> you should you should I'm I'm not going to try I've 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 tried and it's it's enough for me to know that it's not going to be the kind of book that I enjoy reading oh um sorry to hear that Mm, yeah no i mean there's a lots of epic fantasy that i know i won't enjoy reading so um yeah one example of a situation that's kind of like dictated by trust is something that sm hasn't watched yet so i'm not sure how much of this i can talk about but it's about shang chi i can take really out my hard. headphones and you can text me when it's done <laughs> if you want to talk all the spoilers I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's really like I don't. I think I can talk around it, okay. um, but I know you're really sensitive about spoilers. Like you don't watch. Trailers, right? <laughs> I just prefer. So you should go probably... in with as little as possible, but it's okay. So then you should take off your headphones, and I'll text you in the, in the <laughs> okay. Skype chat in like two minutes. Okay, so she's gone now. I assume she's not responding, so she's gone. Um, <laughs> but right before this, oh, and I guess if you're if you're like SM and you don't want spoilers for Shang Chi, now's the time to hop out. Um, but I was just rewatching it um, while before we were we were before we started talking, and it it really felt like the whole story is kind of built on trust. And I had actually just been watching the Eternals right before, and that one is feels even more of like a trust story. But for some reason, it doesn't in my head it doesn't like play out that way. But the whole point of Shang Chi is like his dad trusted his mom, fell for the mom, the mom for whatever reasons that like her her community didn't accept him. And then when she's, you know, dies on his behalf or is taken away, the only, like his, his only trust in the whole world has been broken and he like can't listen to any reason. And the whole story is kind of built on the idea that like the only person who he can trust is her. And I just thought that was a very interesting uh, like point. Like, like the whole story is kind of based on, what happens when the the truth that you have like the person you trust deceived you or like just the the trust is broken for whatever reason but yeah i just was watching thoughts and i don't know those thoughts anymore i did write like three paragraphs about it but <laughs> that's yeah, awesome that's it um uh, i'm back i had other thoughts earlier about it but i just thought it was a like i don't know it was so trusty I guess everything's yeah. right? Well, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a universal theme. Um, but I think, I mean, something else I wanted to bring up, and we could just touch on this briefly and then and then move on. Um, but, like, 
the idea of trust and ideas in in stories and how that kind of plays out because like you know the two examples I can come up with are from Star Wars off the top of my head but like you Mm. know obviously trust the force Luke you know Mm. like that's 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 right there that's on front street um you know you're trusting in this thing that that you can't see and you don't necessarily know it exists and but you're turning off your your nav computer and you're gonna go for the the shot anyway um and then also like slightly to the to the left of this but i was thinking about rogue one and like you know the the refrain of like rebellions are built on hope and like that idea of hope kind of and trust in that hope like driving the entire you know, Rebel Alliance, um, and then all the events of Rogue One. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was because it's just a new hope. Because... <laughs> so cheesy. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. So, um, but you know that that of itself is like slightly different than um, than trust in people because it it is sort of a one way thing for sure. Well, I think that in general is like, isn't that what humanity is like built on? Like trusting in an I- in ideas and ideals that like, you know, just generally like that good is, is supposed to prevail at the end of the day. Like the world can stuck and people are can stuck. The world can suck and people are still like, oh, like there's always hope and things will get better. Like, uh, sure. Maybe I guess we just have that, you know, uh, deter, I guess like need for things to kind of we we need to have that faith and ideals otherwise that's you know that's why like not to get too dark but like that's why depression happens or why like you'll always hear like those those like older couples who like one dies and then the other one like dies like right after and it's always kind of like oh they couldn't live without them like their other half like that's an ideal and the, the faith that you have like or the trust that you have in that ideal of being there is broken for whatever reason it is but like as humans we need like kind of like you know we need to have you know trust that like love exists and goodness will overcome and you know people can't really be that terrible it'll be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end (laughs) i mean that's my general philosophy (laughs) it's just we're not there yet but also, like the you know, the arc of tr- uh, of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice, which is a fancier way of saying it. Um, but yeah, it only bends that way if we make it bend that way. Yeah, and I think it's also like, well, I mean that that kind of goes back to why we tell stories, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. like we need that. to believe that there's you know happy endings sometimes. Yeah, or even just seeing the manifestation of those ideas, I think is even is even more than like more than just like oh people get a happy ending or whatever it's like seeing examples of trust and and of all of these you know that we've been discussing like i think that's a really important reason why we tell stories because we you know whether or not like we have those things in our own lives we don't always see them and they come out a lot of the time through you know through fiction mm-hmm. um i i don't know why but something you just said just reminds me of that scene in the princess bride where the, the screaming eels and like the kid yeah. thinks that he, like she's gonna die. Uh, just like you were getting very concerned, so I just wanted to yeah. reassure you. <laughs> or is it at that part? Where's like there's one point where the I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, no, no. He said you're looking very concerned. You know, I just wanted to let you know no, 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 she does no, no, not no, get that, eaten by the eels at this. No, time. no, no, that that I know. But at one point, the boy like says like 
like why would that happen like why i don't remember which oh oh was, yeah like, when uh she was like, wait, well, no, she can't marry Humperdinck. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, and, like, it was the dream. It was, it was the, the dream, dream sequence. And she was like, I can't, she can't marry Humperdinck. Like, who gets Humperdinck in the end? Well, nobody gets him. He lives. He's like, Jesus, Grandpa, what'd you read me this thing for? Yeah. Like, that whole <laughs> that whole segment is kind of like, you know, the, the, the need for a story to have a happy ending. And it, like, yeah. this, in that moment, the trust was broken. And then when yeah, he finds out it was a dream, he was like, ha, I told you. And the grandpa's like, yeah, yeah, you're very smart. Shut up. <laughs> Which is funny because I think dream sequences or, or like it was all a dream is like the classic example of breaking trust in like. Yeah. Well, that's why the kid gets mad, right? Yeah. Um, well, he was, he was happy. The trust was restored when it was confirmed to be a dream sequence. But when it was a dream, it was broken. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that might be an adult uh, thing, like a maturity thing. <laughs> so I I had one other meta thing that I uh that I had on my list to to bring up. Um and it was from an interview that I saw of Jonathan Frakes talking about his philosophy of directing. Jonathan Frakes is an actor um who played uh William Riker on Star Trek Next Generation, but he also went on to direct many uh, episodes of Star Trek and several of the movies, I think. Um, and he is one of the, the favorites of all the casts when, whenever you know, they ask who their favorite director <laughs> to work with is. A lot of them, pretty much all of them, pick Jonathan Frakes. Um, and then Will Wheaton interviewed him once and asked him what, what his approach to directing is and why he thinks you know, people enjoy his style so much. And he says, well... Um, I feel like it's my job to facilitate an environment in which people feel safe making a mistake. And I feel like that's a, it creates an atmosphere. If you create an atmosphere of trust where people feel like they won't be penalized for making a mistake, then they have the freedom to be more creative. And that's what he said. And I just found that like that, I saw that interview very shortly after a lot of the news broke about Joss Whedon and his abusive behavior toward his actors and all of that, and how, like, it must have been such a different experience working with Joss Whedon, and how there's, like, you know, there's no atmosphere of trust, and, like, that if you make a mistake, he's totally going to mock you and make fun of you, versus where if you make a mistake on a Jonathan Freak set, everybody, you know, is it's a, it's a team, it's a team effort, everybody laughs it off, and, you know... They, they keep going, um, and it just gives the actors so much more freedom to, to be creative and uh, to, get, to get something better on screen um, and to enjoy doing it. And, yeah, and it kind of reminded me of something my dad once said about being a rabbi and how if somebody comes to you with a question, um, part of your job, even if you know, the, the answer to the question is no or something that you don't think that they want to hear, it's part of your job as a rabbi to... Um, like, or even if it's an obvious question, or it seems obvious to you, like part of it is to um, to to validate that it was a worthwhile question, and that um, and to deliver your answer in such a way that the person will feel comfortable asking more questions in the future, um, and that way you build trust um, with your answer, and that they know that you're you know that you're on their side, and that you're not judging them, and that you're not um, thinking any less of them for being uncertain because a lot of people don't have trust in 
uh, leaders and authority figures. Um, and a lot of that trust often gets destroyed when they feel that the authority figure isn't trying to understand them and isn't, you know, concerned with their perspective. Um, and then they don't come back and they don't ask another question ever again. Um, and the job of a, of a good rabbi, he says, is to create that uh, environment where people will feel comfortable asking questions and asking more questions and coming back. Um, and I found, I just found those, those two, you know, the Jonathan Frakes interview and that thing that my dad said to be, you know, very in line with each other. And I thought that was interesting and just a general lesson of leadership. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think definitely all themes that come up in, in fiction as well. Um, I think that's all I have. Anyone else have anything else we want to drop in? Cool. Uh. <laughs> I wish I could trust my like computer. <laughs> yeah. Our relationship with tech is a whole thing with trust. Oh boy. I mean, let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about <laughs> Facebook now. Let's get into that. Um. <laughs> no. Let's <laughs> not. So that is our thoughts on trust. If you guys have any ideas or stuff we left out or things you want to add, feel free to get in touch with us. Um, next time on Nice Jewish Fangirls, we will be discussing the sixth of the Meetup Musser, second to last, and that is honor or kavod. And uh, I think we're definitely going to have stuff to say about that. That's, that's going <laughs> to... Don't spoil it, but yeah. cool i have a lot of thoughts on how you know honor in in that kind of context fits with the definition of it yes we're definitely going to be dealing with some different definitions and perceptions of honor for sure sm where can people find you on the internet they can find me they can follow my public posts on facebook um they can follow me on twitter at floating spirals and they can uh find my fiction on amazon.com slash author slash sm rosenberg and tomorrow how about you uh, you can follow me at tomorrow writes on instagram and twitter or follow my public facebook page at on facebook just tomorrow herman i forget to update that sometimes so please please just like it and know that you'll get infrequent updates there because i forget to log into Facebook quite frequently. Um, you can also follow my work at tamarherman.com. I have a feed that pulls my day-to-day articles or you can you know, subscribe to the newsletter that it sends out. I don't actually know how the newsletter looks, so if anybody does subscribe, please let me know if you like it. Um, but yes, and thank you guys for facilitating the call at a very early hour on a Sunday morning. Well, now it's 11.23, so it's not so early anymore. Hopefully Michal is <laughs> well, more yeah, awake well, now. That's debatable. <laughs> Um, so uh yeah as for me you can find me on twitter at ink as rain and um you can find some of my other podcasts at the um podcast of surprise which is a witcher podcast and the level seven access podcast which is a marvel slash disney slash star wars slash disney plus conglomeration nerd podcast um and that is also where you can hear our wonderful editor jamie you can find them at jamberg.me. That's their website. And Jamie underscore Bloomberg on Twitter. And as for the Nice Jewish Fangirls, we are on Twitter at Nice Jewish Fangirls. Or at Jewish Fangirls. Sorry about that. Uh, you can email us at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We're at Jewish Fan, Nice Jewish Fangirls. And of course, 
Yes, we're on, we Spotify on Spotify now, right? Leave us, leave us a, a rating and a review Yay! on iTunes and Spotify if you can, because um, we have a lot of really lovely um, comments and, and ratings, but we haven't gotten any in, in a while. So, like, we're back. So, you know, reward us. We, we, we need to trust you to give us serotonin. Occasionally. <laughs> I'll go pester all of my siblings. Although my mom is the only one who <laughs> listens to the podcast. <laughs> adorable um also if you have feedback like obviously we have our topics but we tend to just talk and talk and talk about whatever we want so if you have any feedback for us or any topics you want us to explore in the future please let us know hit us up on yeah for sure or email and be nice please be nice (laughs) we are fragile we are fragile we are okay with constructive criticism exactly yeah exactly but yeah so we can Mm -hmm. create an atmosphere so we can trust you yeah exactly All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Nice Jewish Fangirls. Thank you so much for listening, and live long and prosper, everyone.